first. How did it get hit? Well, it looks to me like you portaled it. Oh, what? You know, portal from wherever you were to here. What's that? It's a, a different kind of portal. It's just changed so radically, and we're all running to catch up. And realignment. They both big pencils. Yeah. All we do know is the boys are back. And the Joe Beaver Show plots its own course. Now, there are a few more topics that we have to cover. And we will not talk about transfers, and we will not talk about my mother. We will talk about what I want to talk about. Fair enough. Who's next? Who's next? Who's next? Who's next? Joe Beaver is on 1240 Joe Radio. All righty, good morning, good morning, everybody, good morning, and welcome to The Joe Beaver Show. I'm John Warren, T.J. Matthewson sitting across from me and doing the routine, which we'll have to do a couple more times this year when Mike Parker goes out of town. In fact, how many? I, I don't have the... One more road series after One this more? is UCLA and Pac-12 tournament, and then wherever the Beavers might go for a regional, yeah. I think, would it if the show's still yeah, that's, on it's, for then. It's so that's funny, we, we go back and forth on that every mm-hmm. year. A lot of times, if the regional's on the road, we end the show and just say, have fun this summer. Yeah. If the regional is home, then Mike's around. We keep it going. Um, Beavers you know, still have a good opportunity to host. For something that looked as bleak as it did early in the season, mm-hmm. you go get a top 30 or I think top 35 series win on the road this weekend. Mm-hmm. You're looking pretty good, and you still have UCLA, who's top 20 in RPI on the road left this season then a couple more easier series you have utah who's just been awful this year yeah uh one more one more series that i'm forgetting and you still have one more game against the ducks as well which is uh which is important arizona again sorry that's the other one i missed in which is next weekend and they have also not been good it's funny because if you heard the end of end of the broadcast on tuesday night mike was just clamoring about how crazy the scores were in the midweek games. I mean, oh, midweek yeah. games can get off the rocker, but now is the, now is the time of the year where guy like the roster rosters might be getting a little tired, especially with arms, especially in midweek. Uh, some injuries might pile up. You know, the score of the Arizona state Arizona game last night is 20 to nothing. Wildcats last night in the middle of the week, oh, <laughs> 20 to nothing. I didn't even check scores this morning. Yeah. So that was the only game played on a, on a Wednesday in the pac 12 last night. And it, 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 it continued it continued the trend of the week, which I would say, which was uh, kind of funny, but it's a good series this weekend. This will be this is the best series in the conference this weekend. Two teams in the top 40 of RPI, one of the best offenses in the Pac-12 in Arizona State and the best pitching staff in the conference of Oregon State should be intriguing. So it'll be it'll be an interesting one to keep an eye on uh, a little bit of crossover for me, which I always love. Where's the one uh, B? Um, it was Utah and BYU. It was in Provo. Yeah, I'm tr- oh here he goes twenty nine to fourteen. Could you imagine calling a game like that? I mean, that was a day when you had twelve runs scored against UCLA by UC Irvine, and uh, the only normal scores was Oregon State and um, Washington State, mm-hmm. and Stanford and lost fifteen to thirteen to Sacramento yeah. State. So a wild, <laughs> a wild Tuesday this week. And then that twenty to nothing score, I, I didn't even see that. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. That is amazing. And uh, and Washington State eleven to two. Oh no, sorry, that goes back to the twelfth. I'm looking. I got to go to the bottom of the screen here. USC over Northridge, um, but that was two days ago. All right. Well, anyway, um, crazy scores. 
Beavers and Arizona State coming up. Here is the lay of the land for today's show, which includes your participation via the Downward Dog phone line, 497-5356. Same phone number for the University Honda text line. And we do have a question to throw out that we were just kind of hemming and hawing over in our production meeting before the program began. But coming up on the show today, by the way, the uh, University Honda text line, same number, 541-497-5356. Brendan Slaughter from Beaver's Edge will join us at 1130 with the showcase happening on Saturday. I'm going to be gone tomorrow. TJ will be going solo for one hour tomorrow. Any guess, or you you just talking? No, probably just gonna gonna spitball. So plenty to talk about. Especially Call in, spew some hot takes. We'll, we'll we'll debate. We'll debate the meaning of life. Come up with some kind of a thing that makes people go, hmm, I'm not sure, and then make a make a case for it, and you'll get all kinds of participation. That's the way we hope it works, anyway. So 11:30, Brendan Slaughter to break down and get ready for the showcase, talking about uh, practice, of course, spring practice. I kind of like the deal, and so does Jonathan Smith, whom we'll hear from later today. A little little tiny segment from the podcast that Mike and I did, gosh, I think it was on Monday, and he, he gave us a great amount of his time. It's a good podcast, a good conversation with Coach Smith. You can find that at osubeavers.com. And uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll talk with Brendan Slaughter about the, the football game. But again, I, I kind of like this two weeks, then a week off, then two weeks. And it just flew by. I mean, it, it was just yesterday. It was March 7th, which was the very first day of practice. Now, you've been over there to see them work out. I haven't had a chance to see one workout or scrimmage. And you've seen DJ Uwe Ungale, and you've also seen Aiden Childs and Ben and, and the others. Um, I think a lot of people have seen what's going on there and kind of reported that Aiden Childs kind of sticks out. He does. He looked the best of the three quarterbacks at it's hard to make assumptions on what anyone is going to do once September, uh, whatever the opener date is, rolls around. Yeah, It's going to be hard to say who was actually going to be the best based on spring performance. But in terms of splash plays, it's been Aiden. He, his athleticism pops. Yeah, He is such a good athlete that um, it, it, he's still young. Remember, he's only 17, right? right. He's got a lot, a lot of mileage left to, to go on those tires and to learn and to soak up all this information. He's great moving, uh, maybe not within the pocket. We probably need to watch film to really judge that. But outside the pocket, he can dash with the best of them. He is fast, and I've been pleasantly surprised by his arm. I we read his recruiting profile from whatever recruiting site you choose to mm-hmm, read from. Mm-hmm. Most would label his passing ability in high school as a project passer. He need he needs some work, which is fine. A lot of guys when they come out of high school, aren't perfect passers. I've been really impressed with some of the touch on his throws, especially throwing on the run, just scrambling out to both his left and his right. I've seen him make some pretty nice throws on the run, and he's also flashed a little bit of deep ball accuracy as well. The second practice I saw, he threw a gorgeous, probably 50-yard dime. He hung in the pocket. I think he scooted up one step, and then he just lets a cannon off, and the ball just floats 50 yards down the field, right into Trent Walker's hands, a sophomore, a wide receiver, who's also, I thought, has stood out this camp as well. He's been mostly on the second team, but he threw a beautiful pass. That's probably the best pass I've I've seen from the three practices that I've been at. Only been able to go to the second session. But DJ and Ben both look like they're working through some things, is what I I would say. I was making a joke for, I was there on Tuesday, 
looked like they didn't like throwing with cold hands, which I thought was interesting, <laughs> especially DJ. He was he kept sticking his hands in the in the in the pouch they give you to to warm up your hands a little bit, and he he was having some trouble gripping the football. Yeah, we had a it's an adjustment a lot like today, and um, you know these guys have to get used to it because this is what we have. There have been a number of what I've, because I've asked you, well, are they indoors or outdoors? They've had a lot of outdoor practices in the cold and the rain. And I'm like, why would you have an indoor facility and not use it? I sure wish it was indoors. It would made my life a lot easier. It was 40 degrees and like cold wind and cold rain on Tuesday. Yeah. Good thing I packed my winter jacket. Otherwise, I'd probably be out sick today with a cold, Well, <laughs> to Brendan, be honest. Yeah, Brendan will join us at 1130. We'll get his thoughts on what he has seen so far this year. Uh, with uh, with the spring football practice, it kind of got us into thinking about you know the quarterback situation. You know if if Aiden Childs looks better than DJ, uh, what do you do? Um, and then I thought, well, you know, four games you can play four games now, and this has been mm-hmm. a rule for a couple of years, but we kind of forget about it. And once you remember and bring it back up, it's like, oh yeah, that's that's a good chunk of time. Four games. It's a third of the season. You can play. And still redshirt if you, if you decide to redshirt a kid. It's just it used to be an automatic. Nope, you're redshirting, you're done. But now they can get a look at guys. They can uh, kind of hang them over. And it could be the last four, could be the first four. That is a, it completely adds to a strategy of how you want to have a certain position group in a particular season, especially a quarterback. It means you don't have to decide on a quarterback battle exactly. if you want until game five. Yeah. You can get through this. You can get through all fall camp. You can get through the first four games of the season, and and then make your decision. So uh, I don't know how how long. In fact, that was a question I wanted to ask the coach last year, and it never in in during the the fall camp part of of football. And it, I never remembered it at the time to bring it up to say to either Coach Lindgren or Coach uh, Smith on the strategy of that. Do you just do you leave it wide open for everyone until those four games are used, or or are there some players where you just you shut them down no matter what? You're, you're not bringing them out. We have a cut from Brian Lindgren where Nick Daschle asked him, Wait, what if Aiden, it, what, is the, like, what does Aiden have to do to win the quarterback battle? Um, and I'm going to be honest, Brian Lindgren spit out a word salad. Uh, of an answer, he yeah, I it was pre- it was pretty to that. It, the, and you don't blame him. You don't want to be non-committal and award any quarterback starting jobs unless I don't know you have a Bryce Young in your camp <laughs> when spring rolls around. So it, I wouldn't. I would put it at about three percent, three percent chance. It, I I have a hard time thinking that that DJ and Ben will not look significantly better in the fall and they really start putting some some real install in there and and run some concepts and really make you know in think you know here in spring I think they're a little more basic and just kind of letting the athletes fly around but once it comes down to some more X's and O's and that's that's when you would think a freshman might be just a little bit more overwhelmed and spend more time in the pocket thinking than just running around and playing let me just play this to see what if this is the one you're talking about here Picking one quarterback to start versus having two quarterbacks play in the fall. Yeah, is the along those posed. lines. Yeah, I think it's along those lines. I think that was more of a of a Ben and DJ question. Uh-huh. The difference between Ben and DJ during the spring has been non-existent. There is not. They looked pretty much the same. Both had some pluses. Both had some pretty bad throws. And that's not what we expected. No. And we we can give DJ a bit of an excuse. He has a lot of offense to learn. This is not this, you know, simple high flying college offense that a quarterback can just learn and operate. It's right. know, 
I'll use the example of like Tennessee. If you watch the Tennessee Volunteers game last year with Josh Heupel, their offense comes down to like, it's probably a little more complicated than they spit out, but if you watch a Tennessee game, they run a go route, they run a slant route, they'll run like a, a comeback route, or you just hand the ball off. <laughs> That's it. It's like five plays. It's like, it's an, a, a, a variation of Chip Kelly's blur offense for the most part. Maybe a little bit more spread, uh, maybe a little less creative than what Chip Kelly cooked up down the road in, in, yeah. in Eugene. But this is a pro-style offense. There is a lot to learn with that. Brian Lindgren did mention that DJ did spend a little less time thinking here in the second half of spring. He spent a lot of the first half, which, which I did not get to see, yeah. really trying to absorb a lot of things with the offense, which can be a lot from a guy who came from more of a college-style offense at Clemson, primarily working out of the shotgun, all these things, all these protections he needs to learn. It takes a lot to digest all that stuff. Second half, a little less time thinking, a little bit more time just playing, but just didn't really see much, I'd say. Yeah, well, we'll see on the spring game. They're going to simplify a lot. They said they're going to just simplify and go let the guys go out there and play and compete. Maybe not be a true game, more of just like, I think like yeah. a soft scrimmage with some very simple concepts and just kind of let some some of the younger guys especially go compete, which is what I'm really excited to see because some of these younger guys could really contribute this year, especially if you look along the defensive line. They'll, they'll need some guys to step up at linebacker as well. Those guys in the secondary will placing some really great players two like great Rajon. Corners. Two great corners and a great safety last year from that team. And so there's a lot to look at, and especially on the offensive line too. There's been a bunch of guys banged up along the offensive line that they're going to need to rely upon. It sounds like uh, throughout this latter, through the spring game, they practicing today, practice tomorrow, and then they'll finish it up with the spring game on Saturday. So it, it'll be some with, things uh, to uh, think about. In talking with Jonathan Smith on the podcast, and uh, they're really not sure what they want to do, split the team, you know, the whole thing. I, I don't know that there's going to be a huge amount of contact. And like you say, a lot of the younger guys will get in. And uh, as far as, you know, soft strategies, go play. They're not worried about concepts. They're worried about making sure everybody's healthy coming out of it. And it is a, it is a thing for the fans and for their analysis, but they're doing analysis every single day, watching film after every practice. Mm -hmm. It's also a chance for officials to get some work in and uh, a good time. So head on over on Saturday at 1030. We, we talked earlier um, um, about all the different uh, things that are going on, face painting and and games and in the you know Parker Plaza will all be set up and Oregon State's uh, marketing uh, offices do a great job of putting on a good show and giving a good time. What's the temperature going to be looking like? That's a good question. So let's compare your weekend and mine. What I will be doing? I will be there. <laughs> I would have been. I at will the spring game. I will be there. For, guaranteed, I was <laughs> ready to go to the spring game. I, mean, I even talked to Sean Scheffler to say I didn't get my my pass request in until. Until late, and he already had me. He did a great job. I felt bad because an hour later, you know, a few things came in, some some contact with friends and money situation. I'm like, I can go to Arizona this weekend and watch a Beaver game and see my son. I think I'll go do that. I have some great news. High of 66 and no rain on Saturday, just clouds. Wow. Better yet, it's going to be 80 degrees next week. I didn't even realize that. How now, about that? I saw early this morning 71 next week. If you're seeing 80, that's even better. 80 on Thursday next week, it says. Oh, it could man. change. It could probably go down to 75, but I would take 75 as well. Oh, yeah. That's good to see. Let's see. What's the going to be the high in, uh, in Tempe this weekend? 90. You will get 90 tomorrow, oh, 94 boy. on Saturday, 95 on Sunday, which oh, you say is too hot, but I say is 
Perfect. Well, my son has a pool in his backyard, so that'll be good. Stay in the shade. Stay in the shade. Stay in the shade, drink water. And Beaver Baseball is at night tomorrow night and Saturday night, too, right? Yep. Usually, yeah, sun's usually most of the way down by 6.30 first pitch. Go sit up close to the press box. Hey, go sit under Mike's booth, Yeah. and you'll have cover over you. There will be no, no sunlight on you. Perfect. And you can look, listen to Doc Parker while you watch the game. Right when you go into that stadium where the Sun Devils play, is it pretty much you can sit anywhere you want and it's wide open? I've never gone there as a fan, but I would assume so. Yeah, yeah. there's no, there are no washers. Well, and and then just really good, you know, just just relax and spread out. Unless you know behind home plate and all the desired seats that are above the dugout, those kind of seats. But I, yeah. I I'm fine with just sitting below Mike's uh, booth. Yeah, I wouldn't imagine that would be. Too uh, too too hard of a seat to grab as long as you get there first. I can't wait. I can't remember if you buy individual seats there or not. I, uh, to be honest, I have no idea. This yeah. is going to be my first Beaver game on the road at somebody else's park as a fan, mm-hmm. not as a worker. You'll have to let me know, and I might hear it listening to Mike as well. How many people will show up? Because yeah. they get like a Friday and Saturday night at Phoenix Muni, they could get a pretty decent crowd. Yeah. To be honest, like. Might maybe more than got like four or five thousand people they could get. They've gotten six thousand. They got six thousand a couple times last year. Really? Which for yeah, for a top twenty-five matchup at Goss, like or at Goss at, at Phoenix Muni. This is like this is the a the biggest s- series of the season so far for yeah. ASU yeah. at home, especially as I mentioned. They have played the bottom five teams in the Pac-12 so far this year. Their first five for Pac-12 their, for series their home schedule. No, just, just in general. Yeah. They have played the bottom five teams in the Pac-12 standings, and the next however many weeks of the season, I think there's a month left, they will now play the top of the Pac-12 conference. So it's a, it's a start of a, of a big stretch for them. We'll talk to Jack Loader of DevilsDigest.com, the Rivals affiliate for Arizona State, at 12.05 to yeah. preview the series. It's going to be a big series for both sides. And, of course, Oregon State's the standard, right? So that's why people are going to come out and watch. I remember... I remember Seeing Oregon State for the first time, uh, it was 2017. It was the, of the, of course, the great regular season. What 50, um, four, 50, four losses, 56 and six. Yeah, right. Overall, um, I, I saw. I remember seeing Nick Madrigal there on a Friday night and Luke Heimlich throwing a complete game shutout that <laughs> season. Uh, I think I was there. I was there doing stuff for my 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 JMC 305 class. That was uh, that was interesting. But I'm, I might have those photos saved somewhere on like the cloud. But that. That's a memory I have. It should be a good crowd on a Friday night. First place. Sun Devils are first place in the Pac-12. First place. Right now they're in first place. Oregon State, though, right now, I yeah. think you could say is playing the best they're, baseball. I yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't deny that. It it is going to be a fascinating stretch of the season. Oregon State has a chance here, maybe not to win the conference. They again, they could host. There are quality wins left out there on the schedule. Well, right You're now, still, everybody's afraid of just getting in. Yeah. You you have a game versus top twenty Oregon left that boost. If you win that, that's a boost on your schedule. And then you have two quality series again remaining UCLA, against Arizona UCLA State. and Arizona State, sandwiched around Arizona and Utah. Which say you sweep those series and you you play as you should, then that's good. That, probably the biggest one is not losing to Utah. I think their RPI is over hundred, which would be pretty poor. So you should probably sweep that series. Whoa. But you get those wins out of the way, and say you take two. You, you actually finish the season very strong. You take two of three versus UCLA, two of three versus ASU, and then you sweep the other two series. Perhaps you beat Oregon. And then you have Western Carolina at the end of the season. I mean, that's probably good enough to get a top 16, I would say. From where the Beavers are right now, I would say that's good enough. Yeah, it's 
the, 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 the amount that they have climbed since starting one and five prior to that Cal series and bringing their RPI from 112 up to 40 where they sit right now is amazing. 12 and three in their last 15 games and just hot right now and kind of really settling it in. I don't know about the injury to uh, uh, Jaron Hunter for Sunday starting. See what happens there. But mm-hmm. Johnny Allstaff, I think, has been the best depth-wise in the conference. Yeah, it has been because they have the best bullpen and the best pitching staff in the conference, which is, again, going to be fascinating against the Sun Devil lineup that really crushes, and they have not lost at home since March 5th. It's been a while since they've lost at home. By the way, what do you think uh, Grand Canyon? They forgot about that game against Grand Canyon on Monday. Their RPI. Uh, that's a good question. Actually, I haven't looked. Um, so Brian and Legrand texted and says they do have reserve seats. Thank you, Brian. Again, I wasn't I wasn't sure about that. Having again, I always you know us Cronkite kids didn't uh, always would describe a credential. Instead, Grand Canyon's ninety second in RPI. So that's that's probably a must, that is a must win on the road. It's yeah. probably you know it's twelve o'clock. It's going to be ninety degrees out. It's going to be toasty. And Grand Canyon has one of the best players in the country, and Jacob Wilson, a guy who's going to be probably a top ten pick this year. As a shortstop, so it'll be uh, it'll be interesting. So they gotta. There are some there are ducks on the pond awaiting uh, some good some good baseball this weekend and the biggest series in the Pac-12 conference this weekend. So we have Jack Loader coming up at twelve oh five. That'll be great. We've got football, basically football and baseball is our our topics today. And uh, your texts and phone calls are always welcome around the interviews. One of which is coming up next, where we'll talk with Brendan Slaughter from Beaver's Edge as we get ready for the uh, Saturday Showcase, Oregon State Football, right here on 1240 Joe Radio. In Corvallis. All right, welcome back. Uh, we continue, I should say, here on the Joe Beaver Show. John Warren, along with T.J. Mathewson, we have Brendan Slaughter, who will be joining us here in just a second as we get uh, ready for uh, Saturday Showcase, Oregon State Football, all the different showcases, or how whatever the names are, are wrapping up, T.J., uh, around the conference. And it's just another another football season that's coming up to look forward to. It will be the last one with UCLA and USC. In fact, let's bring Brendan in here. He may want to comment on this. Brendan, this is going to be kind of strange, isn't it? Knowing that we're uh, we're saying so long to those guys, and I say, uh, don't let the door hit you on the way out. What do you What do you think? Welcome to the Joe Beaver Show. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, the uh, the turncoats have one year left in the conference before they head for what they think to be greener pastures. So definitely going to be a weird year uh it's kind of like what i tell people this is probably the the last year of everything being pac 12 as we know it after that it's anyone's guess did san diego state's run in the uh march madness change your mind or help confirm with you that if there is expansion that would be a good idea Oh, without question. Um, you know, for me, San Diego State was the one, the one, you know, I've kind of gone back and forth on what potentially, you know, SMU might bring or any other school they've looked at. But San Diego State I've been very, uh, very pleased with since they uh, came into the mix. You know, not only are they competitive in football every year, and I, I say that as, you know, um, you know, they beat Pac-12 champion Utah in non-conference a couple years ago, went 12-2. and um, They're usually pretty good with Pac-12 teams, they can hold their own against Pac-12 teams. So on the football field, I think they're good there. And then, as you mentioned, uh, basketball obviously uh, would be the class of the conference this year. So Mm -hmm. I think athletically and even academically speaking, uh, San Diego State would be a fine addition. Well, you know, we're we're still kind of waiting for that to happen. We need to find a a TV deal, I guess, and then we'll we'll learn about expansion. And who knows when it's all going to happen. I kind of like when it's quiet. 
I kind of like when Wilner and Canzano aren't throwing things out there or that I'm not paying attention to it because it's nice to be able to relax and, and get into something else and not be strung along about we, we continually get teased that something might happen soon. And it's been going on for almost a year now. Oh yes. It's been, it's been, you know, I, I imagine if I were to, if I were to guess, you know, I think the delay is purely being in the nitty gritty negotiations of, you know, potentially working with streaming partners. We've heard that if they were to be in the mix with Amazon and Apple, those partners are notoriously slow for wanting to negotiate. So I think it's all pieces to the puzzle, but maybe like you said, John, no news is good news, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Brendan Slaughter from Beaver's Edge. All right, TJ and I have already kind of uh, talked about at the opening of the program and, and highlighted the quarterback situation. What do you think as we get ready to end spring practice from all of what you have been able to see between all the quarterbacks uh, this year? Yeah, it's definitely been interesting. I guess the, the biggest surprise I have right off the bat uh, is that uh, DJU hasn't officially like ran away with the starting quarterback position. You know, based on what I've seen, what TJ has seen, and so on and so forth, uh, Aiden Childs has looked like arguably maybe the most impressive quarterback throughout spring, which, you know, it's spring. You know, there are some surprises, but I would say that definitely surprised me a little bit how quickly he's kind of figured into the mix. And then uh, conversely, like I said, I... I'm kudos to Ben Goldbrinson for obviously continuing to kind of hold down that spot that he earned last year. Um, but, you know, basically I, I'm kind of surprised we haven't seen kind of DJ unleashed, so to speak. Yeah. TJ was saying, I don't want to speak for you, but you're, you're basically saying no difference between the two in, uh, in Goldbrinson and DJ uh, so far this year. So that was what TJ was saying, right, TJ? Yeah, I know it. It's just kind of puzzling, right? You you would think, man, this this blue chip, you know, five star guy, and, and you know, I'm curious. Like they are going to spend this off season, Brendan, cooking up some plays for DJ. I don't know if they or they bother going through those plays in the spring since we're so far away, and you probably want to keep those plays out of the prying eyes of of us media, but. You know, there's going to be some things that are directly designed for DJ that I just don't think we've gotten to see in this spring. Nonetheless, it it, it was a little puzzling, especially in the second session when Brian Lindgren said, hey, we think DJ's really going out there and playing a little bit more and not thinking. Yet, when we're sitting there watching him, it's like, yeah, well, (laughs) still uh, still doesn't really seem to be that much of a separator. Right, Brennan? Yeah, you know, that's exactly, you know, I think that, you know, uh, maybe we underestimated, you know, how, um, uh, how quickly, you know, DJ would kind of get in and take the reins, so to speak. My opinion overall hasn't changed, and I think it would take something monumental. I mean, DJ did not come here to sit on the bench, right? right? So I think, you know, we can continue to talk about, you know, the quarterback position and whatnot, but I think it would be, you know, the surprise of all surprises if he didn't eventually take the reins and run with it. And based on, you know, his talent and his ability, I mean, I think back to the early part of spring, uh, back in March when they were letting them kind of uncork some passes a little bit. And, you know, I could see on day one that DJ brought something to the position specifically uh, that we haven't seen in years. And I think, you know, with arm strength, um, you know, size, uh, you know, just physical attributes. Uh, he's, you know, one of the best the Beavers have had. The question is, like TJ said, maybe it's all by design. Maybe it's, 
you know, DJ comes in here. He was in the pressure cooker at Clemson. Maybe it's, you know, keep him under the radar, and that's how Oregon State operates. I, I can see a lot of different angles to this, but uh, it, it's definitely a bit interesting. You know, I, I, I kind of go back to, like, last year when you saw, like, you know, you know, the Beavers are pretty, pretty typical for not wanting to name their starting quarterback until, you know, midway through fall camp or something along those lines. It's almost just like this is what the Beavers have done since they've been here, keep an open quarterback competition, and that's what they're still doing. Do you guys kind of see the same thing? Yeah, that's. it's not really surprising, too, because they don't, they don't want – they, the the last thing they they want is is Ben leaving probably yeah, because right. what what if, what if DJ gets hurt right because then you would be your third string quarterback would be a seventeen year old who probably should still be in high school right now uh, as we're talking about this Brendan Slaughter joining us here on the Joe Beaver Show speaking of Aiden Childs I'm probably going to just disregard as from last practice as I joked to Brendan on Tuesday that I think my main takeaway from the quarterbacks, they could all get some practice throwing in gloves and warm up their hands a little bit more. But instead, we'll talk about the about Aiden Childs. Brennan, what's impressed you most about Aiden Childs so far? I think, yeah, I think there's a couple different things. First of all, as you mentioned, the age. The fact that this kid should be getting ready for prom right now, you know, come end of April, early May, and is here, you know, enrolled and taking on spring practices, I think shows you everything you need to know about uh, who he is kind of as like a work ethic and, you know, wanting to achieve something like, you know, Aiden Childs knew they were bringing in DJ, obviously knew that uh, Ben was the resident starter, but didn't stop him from enrolling early, getting in with the program, getting into the strength training program in the off season. And based on everything we've seen and, and heard so far, it's that the learning gap, like we all just assumed, I say we all in terms of, you know, recruiting people, media people, assumed, hey, you know, Aiden's going to need a year to probably, you know, redshirt, get seasoned, uh, learn under, you know, DJ or Ben or whoever, and then he's probably the future of the quarterback position. I think someone forgot to tell Aiden that because that's basically what we've seen early on is that, you know, he's firmly in this mix and trying to uh, prove that he can be, you know, a, a, a starter at 18 years old, which I think um, is still a bit of a long shot based on, you know, the experience that they have, but I don't think you can rule anything out because in DJ and Aiden, you have two, like, it's just, it's, it's a wealth of talent at the quarterback position. I mean, you know, it was a little top heavy, maybe when you had like Jake Luton and Tristan Jebbia, both at their peak uh, before Tristan Jebbia had the injury. But other than that, there is no, no chance the quarterback room has had this much talent from top to bottom uh, since Jonathan Smith has been here if not, you know, longer than that. So I think it's, it's a great thing for the position, and I'm very curious to kind of see how who, who looks the best in spring, and then ultimately I think we'll really find out what the coaches are thinking come August. Let me ask you, we could spend so much time on this, but I want to ask you about some other things um, involving the rest of the team. But last thing on the quarterback situation, some of the, the throws, and, and TJ touched on this a little bit earlier, is, is, you know, DJ having a nice touch, having, you know, Aiden having the great deep ball, uh, and other things. Did you notice at all if either one of them, because we know what Ben can do, and I'm not, not talking about Ben because of a disrespect, just that we know his game, but I'm curious about those other two. Were either of them, did they seem like they were comfortable before running, or were they quick to pull the running trigger? 
And the reason why I ask is because I have nightmares of Seth Collins. Every time he was snapped the ball, he was, he was going to run. You know that. He was going to run. No matter what, he was going to run. He was never going to drop back and throw. He was going to pretend to for a half a second and then run and not get anywhere. And those Gary Anderson years are, I just, they're so, oh, it's nightmare. Well, <laughs> but, lean, lean years, John. Oh, you had to bring up that memory. No, yeah. I think that's a, uh, that's a great poll, right? And as soon as you mention the name, I can pretty much picture like the Weber State game, yeah. a couple other games when he was, you know, uh, wanting to essentially be a running back at the quarterback position. Right. But uh, to, to that point, uh, I think early on, uh, when we saw Aiden, he, you know, um, I think it's something he's progressed at already over the course of spring. But yes, I would say early on, the first few days, definitely a little more, you know, happy feet, things break down, just the natural, um, uh, you know, desire to want to run because I think that, you know, that obviously was what was successful for him at high school. Is if something broke down, you could run and. DJ, I think a little less because he was so established at Clemson and yeah. had. You know, obviously being in a spread offense a little bit different than what the Beavers will be asking for of him. But uh, just off the top of my head, I believe he had four or 500 yards rushing uh, this last year, along mm-hmm. with, you know, five or six touchdowns. Again, just uh, guesstimating on those numbers. But the Clemson kind of had a package designed for DJ to run. So I think he kind of knows the balance between staying in the pocket and, you know, then needing to use, you know, his frame and his size and essentially his elusiveness to kind of sneak out of the pocket. Um, I'd say DJ is probably a little bit more adept at that simply based on experience. But, uh, no, I, I fully expect Aiden Childs to be able to mix in the run with the throw, being a dual-threat guy, uh, a lot better than Seth Collins, for, for example. Brendan Slaughter joining us, and I'm going to agree to that point, Brendan. And the three practices I saw of DJ, I don't think he ever bailed the pocket early to go run. In fact, I don't really think... He tried running all that much either. His eyes were always down the field, which I really liked for uh, how a pro-style quarterback should go. Let's get to some other position groups now. I'm curious your thoughts at wide receiver. We didn't see too much from Anthony Gould this spring. He's they've been Some of the starters, they've just been having sitting out and not really taking place in too many drills. Saw a little bit more of Silas Bolden. Those two are projected to start at wide receiver. Otherwise... It's an interesting group out wide. We've heard some about Zach Card. John Dunmore's flashed a couple times. Micaiah Tung's no longer a part of that group. He's a linebacker now. We can talk about him in a few minutes. But outside of those top two guys, Gould and Silas Bolden, Brandon, who who are you really looking at that we might see uh, for the spring game on Saturday that could have a decent impact in the 2023 fall? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, you mentioned a couple of them right off the uh, right off the bat. You know, I got to start with John Dunmore. He obviously got the start uh, in the Vegas Bowl with Anthony Gould out and played quite well. He obviously brings a little bit more size, not significant, but I think he's six one or six two as opposed to some of those other guys. Or you know, I think Anthony and and Silas are uh, in the fives, maybe six foot even, uh, just off the top of my head. But I think John Dunmore is definitely a guy to keep an eye on. Zach Card as a freshman is a guy who. Early, you know, throughout spring, he's just made play, plays after plays. Um, and then a couple other guys who um, uh, just worth keeping an eye on because they've gotten a lot of run. A couple walk-on guys, and Trent Walker's gotten a lot of run. I know you wrote about him earlier this week, uh, TJ. And then also uh, Joe Valadez, the, uh, the transfer from uh, Linfield also, comes in with a good amount of experience and, you know, decent size the position to. Um, you know, there are some other guys who I think are going to figure in the mix as well, but 
I think generally speaking, the Beavers feel really good about, you know, the first two guys they have there. I think they feel good about John Dunmore, too. Um, obviously, some young guys that can come in. Um, I think, you know, someone like Jimmy Valson, who still has size at the position, uh, could be intriguing. But, you know, overall, I think it's going to come down to just whoever's the most consistent in that group uh, since, you know, they have their two starters, but there's not necessarily like an elite Isaiah Hodgins type star, you know what I mean? Yeah, let's go to defense real quick, and I have a specific question. Have either of you seen Kelsey Howard? Yeah, he's been on the line a little bit. And how's he look? Because he was a four-star guy. What were your thoughts, Brendan, about Kelsey Howard? Yeah, you know, I think he's definitely, I mean, first of all, got to talk about the person. I had the pleasure of meeting him at the pep rally down at the Las Vegas Bowl, and, um, you know, just an awesome kid, you know, any kind of, high school kid that, you know, is already talking about what they want to accomplish in college and, you know, super respectful kid. And, you know, just he, Oregon State got an awesome individual. So just starting there. And then, you know, talent-wise in the football field, I think he's really going to help. I mean, we go back to the beginning of spring, you know, Jonathan Smith kind of penciled him in as a guy who, you know, could see the mix early on. I think based on, you know, still wanting to get a better edge rush this year. I mean, you look at defense last year, Great numbers across the board. The one kind of, you know, crooked number, so to speak, is the lack of stacks and not stat measurable, but the lack of consistent pass rush. So I think, you know, the Beavers are going to look to get creative. Trent Bray, they're really going to look to, um, you know, improve upon that this year. And I think Kells will be a, a big help if he comes in with great size, already has the physicality to kind of be, you know, a guy who can be plug and play a little bit. Um, between him and um, the Wyoming transfer as well, um, uh, Olu Oluwafie Amatosho. I think I'm getting that name correctly, but uh, it just goes by Olu. I've been very impressed with him, uh, a newcomer on that defensive line as well. Good stuff. We appreciate your time. We could talk forever about this, but we've got football wrapping up on Saturday, and then we kind of uh, forget about it <laughs> and and enjoy the summer temperatures until football re- resurfaces in late late. Uh, well, mid-August is when we'll start to talk about it, right, Brendan? Without question. i tell you one thing, John. I'm certainly looking forward to those uh, those warmer temperatures. Those can come anytime. I think we all are. Thanks, Brendan. Brendan uh, Slaughter yeah. from uh, Beaver's Edge. Thanks, Thanks buddy. All right. Well, he's he's great. He's I know he's been on cover. Yeah. Covering out there all the time, so he can speak to all the things. Uh, and you you probably second most, too. Um, I, yeah, good, a good amount of optimism. I'm also curious that I know we didn't have enough time with Brendan. Yeah. See what the tight ends will bring. They got to replace. So we didn't uh, Jack Felling is not really played this spring. He was one of those guys that was not really going to, going to participate in mm-hmm. practice this spring. Mm-hmm. So who's going to step up behind him? Because as we saw last year, one injury to one really kind of blue chip guy could sideline him for the season. And what we saw from Luke Musgrave last year. So who's going to step up after him? We saw a little bit from Malik Kelly. He's a transfer, I believe. He's the transfer from Cal, I believe. Yes, I believe so, that's true. And then you know Cooper Jensen, but he'll be a true freshman. So right. you're not really going to. No, sorry, he was not the talking uh, about him. I was thinking of somebody else. But regardless, that tight end group is very uh, a very very interesting group. I'm thinking I'm going to scroll down and find who the Cal transfer actually is. As his name, oh Jermaine Terry, that's who I was thinking of. Okay, he's uh, he's. Big. He's 6'4", 251, and there, there are some questions asked after the first practice, Alzac. Hey, maybe he could be a little bit more like a true wide receiver instead of a tight end. That would be some real size you could have out there. Seen a lot of Jake Overman as well. 
uh, out wide amongst uh, a big mix of guys out wide. And of course, Jack Filling when he comes back healthy in the fall uh, to to participate with that group. That group, again, should be a really big part of the Beavers passing game this year, especially expecting a little bit more production from the pocket. Let's take our last break this hour, come back with some audio as we're on the topic of football. We'll switch over to baseball when we uh, have a chat with um, your buddy from Jack Loader. Arizona, Jack, uh, Jack Loader. Uh, my note. Oh, I just threw him down here. There we go. Anyway, from the rivals division of, uh, what is it? Uh, DevilsDigest.com. DevilsDigest.com. Yeah. So that's coming up in the second hour. Your phone calls and texts, of course, and uh, that's always uh, good to do at 541-497-5356. Thanks to uh, Brendan Slaughter. And for TJ, I'm John. And we'll be right back after this on 1240 Joe Radio. All right, TJ, let's uh, hear from Trent Bray. You were out there mm-hmm. and said that it was rainy. And it windy. was rainy. So just, just to preface, it was the wind was whipping. It was raining, and it was cold. It was just a miserable day on and Tuesday. Was that was Tuesday. a long yeah. prat. That was, that was a long day standing out there just in my winter jacket. Like, all right, when do I have to take my hands out of my pocket to write down a note on my notebook? So if you hear a little bit of wind, yes, it is and spring in Oregon. Far be it from me, okay, to question anything but i have to you have this beautiful indoor facility i understand practicing in the rain in the fall when you're prepping for a game that's going to be in the rain i get that there's a need for that simulation all of that but when your spring practice is mainly for the younger guys new guys and for uh analysis you know film Mm -hmm. and 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 putting in new systems it's it, it would be the perfect time in the lousy weather to go inside and they weren't they were outside a lot maybe there's i'm i'm sure there are reasons you know they you needed to use it for something get else. your california quarterbacks out in the wet weather <laughs> so they can throw the football <laughs> i know i know i get that and you can't really you're not going to get any rain or cold weather in the in fall camp preparing for the season and this would be the only time to prepare dju for what it will be like in november but we can have great Septembers and Octobers. It might just be a couple of games in lousy weather mm-hmm. for them. But I don't know. I just thinking, man, you got this thing. Go in there. It's it's nice and warm. But uh, yeah, let's hear from Trent Bray after practice uh, just uh, on Tuesday. Okay, there we go. That wasn't too bad. There that was only one bad. bout of wind. You had your headphones off, and it was blowing pretty good. But it was just a, a little small deal. And I, I chose to go with defense and Trent Bray because he speaks well as far as loud. He's right up and in there. And my favorite thing about him, he speaks in 20-second segments. Very good. Makes it very easy, as I'm taught by the best. Very good. 20 seconds is the perfect sound cut. And Trent Bray does not speak a thought longer than 20 seconds. Perfect for radio. It is great. So I can just go, oh, he answered this question? Okay, cool. Clip the whole thing. Yeah. Oh, he answered this question? Okay, cool. Cut this whole thing. Answer this question? Oh, cut the whole thing. That's right. After we talk to Jack Loader a little bit, we can, uh, so you have your question you want to propose. Yeah. But also, you know, he talked a little about Micaiah Tung. We do have a little bit uh-huh. of audio from him as yeah. well. Yeah. I think he's going to do well at linebacker. He's fast. He's a really, really good athlete. And just like his dad, a, a pretty good defender yeah. uh, across his years. So, I remember it'll be Reggie. interesting to see. I remember Reggie Tung back in the day. All right. That'll do it for the uh, first hour. Again, we have uh, Jack Loader from Arizona State coming up to talk Beaver baseball this weekend. Time to enter the Magic Kingdom. Denise, would you kindly clear the wheels? Okay, here we go. On three, one, two. Tweets and texts. 
faces and books, tweets and texts and faces and books. Seems like it's more about FM and color TV. In such an age as this, is there any room left for something as simple as radio? We believe there is. Touchdown, Beaver! He's got a chance to go! 20, 15, 10, 5! Touchdown, Beaver! Back in the end zone! Caught! Touchdown, Beavers! The Joe Beaver Show is on the air with Mike Parker and John Warren. Two men on a mission to prove that AM radio is a viable and modern source for news and entertainment. So gather the whole family. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. If you don't have one, fret not. I'll have the management send you up a radio. Be a part of the triumphant return of amplitude modulation. This is the big one, boys. This is the one that brings us back. Soon, AM radio will reign king once more. <laughs> it's the Joe Beaver Show on the home of the beavers. Cool, cool beat, beat. Kill me. 1240 Joe Radio. It's, uh, it's so stupid, it's funny. <laughs> you get all the jokes more than I do. Uh, I do, I do. It's a little bit older, but it is uh, so stupid, it's funny. As we continue here with our number two, of the Joe Beaver Show. John Warren with with T.J. Matthewson. T.J. Matthewson, he of the Walter Cronkite School of Broadcasting at Arizona State University in Tempe, Arizona. By way of Seattle, Washington, our next guest is also going to that school, Jack Loader, who uh, covers Arizona State sports for DevilsDigest.com, a division of rivals. We welcome Jack into the program, a senior at Arizona State and getting to do some work uh, a lot like Brendan and Carter and now TJ, although TJ's out of school. Jack, thanks for taking time out for us today. Yeah, no problem, guys. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Big series coming up this weekend. How do you look at it? How do you view it? I would say you're going to get a big crowd, but we just kind of think of Arizona State as a big city and, and a bigger stadium, former AAA, and, and it probably won't be. But, you know, tell us if that's not the case. What do you think? Give us your initial thoughts on this weekend's series between the top team in the league and then one of the hottest team in the league in Oregon State. Yeah, it's a, the, you can't, can't overstate the importance of this series for Arizona State. And in terms of the crowd, it should be pretty good. They've been getting good draws this year. And um, especially, you know, the Arizona series always gets good draw. I'm expecting tomorrow night to be, if not like a totally packed house, pretty close, at least like in the home plate and kind of upper bowl areas of Phoenix Muni. Um, Arizona State, is, as good as the season's been for them, for them, this is really one of the first big tests in conference. They've had an incredibly soft first half of the Pac-12 schedule. You know, you have to play who's in front of you. It's no fault of their own, but things do definitely heat up here with Oregon State this this weekend, and then you got Oregon next week and Stanford, and things start to get a little crazier in the last four or five weeks of the season. Jack Loader joining us here on the Joe Beaver Show. Jack, good to hear your voice. It's been a little bit, but we, I think you and I communicated a little bit during this series last year, which was just sort of eye-opening in year one of Willie Bloomquist. I remember we had Willie Bloomquist on here on the Joe Beaver Show the Friday, you know, the, the morning before Oregon State really just took it to ASU here at Goss Stadium. It was 34 to 3 Oregon or sorry 34 to 5 in the three game series last year at Goss Stadium at Coleman Field. But this is a, a pretty different team than what Oregon State saw last time out. What was the I, you have a really good article on devilsdigest.com for any Beaver fan that really kind of want to get a background scoop of 
of how Arizona State really overturned their roster and how they've gotten to the point where they are this season. But what really changed the most from a year ago to now, Jack, for for Willie Bloomquist and company and how they've ended up in first place halfway through the, the Pac-12 schedule? Yeah, that, that Oregon State series, along with the road series at Stanford last year, I think were pretty big litmus tests for Willie Bloomquist. And as he told me in the fall when I was putting together that story, that those two trips kind of showed him, okay, this is where we want to be, and we are so far away from that right now. So I think those two really embarrassing trips, I think they got swept at Stanford. They actually, despite that run differential you mentioned, I think ASU did steal the Sunday game of that series in Corvallis last year. So one and five in those series against kind of the powerhouses of the pack, and it catalyzed this offseason movement that we saw in the transfer portal. They got 13 Division One transfers, three more junior college transfers, and it's paid dividends so far. Um, all three of their starting pitchers are new guys. Uh, a lot of their bullpen are new guys, so the pitching depth is really different. That's been super refreshing for Sun Devil fans. The starting pitchers that Oregon State fans can expect to see out of ASU this weekend, all transfers. It's a completely new-look team. They addressed the things they needed to do, and I think those – the road trips to Corvallis and to Palo Alto last year were things that made Willie Bloomquist and his staff sit back and say, okay, that, this is a tangible example of where we want to be, and we got work to do. I think everyone's going to be circling the matchup this weekend of, of the Oregon State pitching staff and, and the Arizona State offense, probably the strength of each team, Oregon State with the best pitching staff in the entire conference, strikeouts, ERA, et cetera. And then on the other side, the Sun Devils, a really, really complete off- offense across the board. But I think it's the... the Again, the big the biggest step, as you mentioned, for for ASU this year is they've gotten some some pretty decent pitching, like you said, from a lot of new guys who's really you know stood out and, and made the made the biggest difference to that group and and someone that Oregon State fans should should have to look out for throughout this weekend. I'll highlight a few guys. So first off, I think the most impressive arm I've seen uh, in terms of new guys is Christian Curtis. He's the Saturday starter. The Texas A&M transfer. He never really got his feet under him at Texas A&M. He had some elbow issues coming off of Tommy John. He's looked phenomenal. He's thrown back in you know, 93, 95 range, really firm with the fastball. He's got a sick changeup and a devastating slider. So he, when he's on, he's as good as any pitcher stuff-wise in the Pac-12. So when, he, when he's firing, ASU has a great chance to win those Saturday ball games. Uh, Ross Dunn is a Friday starter. The lefty. He's been great. Had a really rough outing at Washington on Friday last week, so He's going to look to bounce back from that. Uh, command issues are usually a tell for him. If he can't command that fastball, he's going to have trouble. But if he's on pinpoint command from like a lefty three-quarter, he can get it up in the 90s too. He's really tough to square up. And then in the back end of the bullpen, a kid named Owen Stevenson. He's a transfer from San Francisco. A starter by trade, but a guy who really has found a sweet role in the back end of that ASU bullpen. He's taken on a closer role. Willie Bloomquist hasn't really or, or Made him the starter by by label, based on action. You know, actions speak louder than words. And Owen Stevenson, Owen Stevenson's been getting the ball for ASU in the eighth and ninth innings a lot more lately. So he's a guy who has put on a lot of velocity. He's kind of invested. He told me he's really invested in the strength program they got at ASU and making his body the most productive it can be in terms of velocity and just being a complete pitcher. So he's been dominant at the back end of the bullpen. So those three guys, I think, are a big a big factor for what it's been a night and day difference. Before I go on, the, the team ERA for ASU, not great. It's a little bit misleading. I think if there was like a consequential ERA stat, that would look a lot different. I think a lot of blow-up innings, late game, game already decided type of things where they have lost games this year. Uh, it's allowed teams to kind of pile on runs late. So 
the consequential ERA would be a lot lower than I think the team one, which hovers around maybe five seven, five eight, probably worse after last night. I don't know if you're gonna ask me about that, but last night was pretty ugly too. Uh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a Jack, it has been a really funny weekend a week of, of Pac twelve scores. I think there's only two really normal scores, but outside I mean Stanford lost fifteen to thirteen. Oregon, you know, up at up at uh, Ron Tonkin Field had a had the had a was had a chance to send it to extra innings and they drop an infield pop up to to lose to Portland. So I really some of these midweek games you can really just throw out. I'm I'm curious because I think of the strength of the Oregon State offense. They walk a lot and they hit they here in conference play, they've been hitting the ball over the wall. How have the Sun Devils done in limiting walks and, and home runs as well? It's pretty it's pretty simple. When they walk guys and hit batters they usually struggle on the mound when they don't. They're dominant, and that's something Willie Blumquist has harped on in all of his post games. They they need to limit free bases, and I think that's something the staff has done better, way better at. And there really there was nowhere to go but up in terms of that can, compared to the twenty twenty. Jack, Jack, no, it is cool. Yeah, he he cut out there for a second. Quick question on. The season. What happened uh, in with Irvine and and um, Oklahoma State, and then it, it was that a wake up call after that? Yeah, it certainly seemed like it. I mean, the Irvine series. Irvine's a pretty good team. Um, I honestly, I thought that I thought that sweep uh, not good enough to sweep ASU at home in Tempe. Don't get me wrong, that was the failure of a weekend for ASU. But Irvine's a pretty good team. Oklahoma State's a really good team. They weren't like the most embarrassing losses. I think the fact that those came in a row was a wake-up call, and it looked as though in 2022, ASU lost a lot of ground on the non-conference, slipped up a lot in the non-conference, and really was playing catch-up the rest of the year, and they never really did catch-up. And it looked like that may be repeating itself this year, and to their credit, ASU turned it around. They beat some teams they really should have beat. UC Davis is horrible. They swept them. Won some late games in the non-conference. Took care of Utah. Took care of Cal. Uh, swept Arizona at home, which was a win that initially didn't age well, and now is starting to look a little better as Arizona kind of gets its feet under it. So they did really turn a dime on that, and I think it that speaks to the maturity of this group and a lot of more older guys who have played a lot of college baseball and Willie and his staff having a little more experience of knowing how to handle an early skid like that and not letting it get out of hand. Let's talk about strength versus strength now. The Oregon State pitching staff is going to have its hands full on the weekend. This is just going to be its second uh, since conference play started, its second trip outside of the Pacific Northwest, the only other trip they took, they got swept down at Stanford and really struggled corralling the Stanford bats. I'm curious to see how Oregon State's pitching staff will hold up against this Arizona State offense. Um, I was trying to look, Jack, and I think one thing I really took away, er, across the board, the Sun Devils have really hit the ball well, but I couldn't pinpoint one real strength. What is that? The strength is the depth of the lineup, and it's been tested early. you got... You had Nick McClain, who was a transfer from UCLA. He missed the first six or seven weeks of the season with a broken hammock bone. And a guy like Wyatt Crenshaw, who I talked about this transfer portal hall, they got 12 Division One transfers. He was not one of them. He came from Division Two Colorado State. He filled in for Nick McClain to start the year, and he hasn't left the lineup since. He was amazing for the first couple of months of the season. He's cooled down a little bit lately, but his bat was huge there. Uh, they've got, they have a lot of freshman depth. Isaiah Jackson's a great player. Luke Hill starts at short. New Contrada starts at third. And Keen Vu is another freshman who's kind of been plugged and played in the outfield here and there as well. So the depth they have, not just on the mound, as, as we've harped on the importance of the depth on the mound, but the depth in the lineup too. Willie has a lot of kind of catchers he can play 
with this starting lineup. It's allowed them to have production one through nine. No, there's no real power, super power point of lineup besides, you know, Ryan Campos, Luke Kieschel, that have been really consistently the best hitters. But the one through nine, they can really hurt you. Ten different guys have left the yard this year. Yeah, I saw that the depth of, of the power up and down the lineup was is super impressive. I guess uh, sort of a, a big picture look as we come to a close here of this interview. Appreciate you taking some time out for us. Jack Loader of Devil Di- devilsdigest.com. You can go do some reading over there if you want to study up on this ASU team before this big top 25 series this weekend. ASU at number 19, Oregon State at number 22 um, on this season. But I guess the rest of the season, I, I was just kind of curious to ask, you did say that the schedule was was pretty soft. Is is this a group? Would you say that will that will stand up? I guess for against this this latter half of the schedule, are they going to be say a top four seed in the in the Pac-12 tournament when when the season sort of winds down? Because I think that's where Oregon State fans see themselves, and I think Arizona State could be a team they see there later in the Pac-12 tournament and potentially in the NCAA tournament as well. Uh, to answer specifically about the top four seed question, I think their start has been good enough to where, yes, they do get into Scottsdale with a top four seed, but I don't think it's crazy to say these next four or five series will not be as fruitful as the first four or five, and that's just naturally looking at records and rankings and stuff. We're going to learn a whole lot about this ASU team the next two weeks, and I think Oregon State is a huge test because it's a program with pedigree. They kind of play opposite the strengths of ASU, which I think the great teams in the conference have done over the last decade. When ASU runs into the UCLA's and Oregon State's that can pitch and manufacture runs and play small ball, that's the type of baseball that lends itself to a lot more postseason success in college. And so ASU has kind of ran into a bus by TJ. I know you remember the 2019 campaign, Spencer Torkels in sophomore year, Hunter Bishop's junior year, where ASU was starting like 20-0, and ripping the cover off the ball. But if you don't have that kind of pitching depth and you can't create runs in creative ways in late May and June, you're probably going to be going home early. So, I think this ASU team is more adaptable. I think they have the talent, the pure talent that last year's team didn't to hold their own. Really, if they can tread water, kind of just stay a few games above 500 over the last 17, 18 games of the season, they'll see themselves on the two-seed line in a regional and a top two or three seed in Scottsdale. Right now, both these teams projected on the two-line of a regional Oregon State. Uh, as of, I think, yesterday, Kendall Rogers came out with a new field of 64. Oregon State's going to be... At the LSU regional, Ooh, that's going to be tough. They <laughs> and then always a- get yeah, sent. And then, and then, in Nashville with Vanderbilt. So those are those are two tough regionals. Man, LSU's got some really good players this year. Uh, Jack, I have one last question. Just I want a number. Uh, I was trying to explain to John, like ASU does sometimes get a pretty decent crowd on a Friday and Saturday night. If you had to pin down a number, because I know there's going to be a good portion of Oregon State fans getting out of this dreary, wet mess we have up here. I'll be there. And, gonna, and like John, <laughs> and is going to go down and, and see some see some baseball on a Friday night where it'll be 90 to, 90 to 85 degrees out. What, what would you guess would be a crowd for Friday? I'd say there's probably going to be at least 4,000. That's pretty good. Um, yeah, they had they had around six for Arizona, which was the I think they set not the single game record, but the the over the weekend record, the three series aggregate total, which was around like nineteen thousand people. <laughs> so yeah, I'd say for that, it's gonna be a good crowd. You know, it's not gonna be packed down the line. Phoenix Community is like what I think like ten thousand capacity, and it's never really approached that. Uh, but it should be a good crowd. I, there's, there's a lot to be made about attendance at football. A lot to be made about attendance at basketball. Baseball hasn't had as many problems considering the amount of games and, frankly, the lack of big games like we'll see this weekend that have been at that ballpark. How safe will I be if I'm wearing beaver garb? 
you'll be completely safe as long as you're not wearing wildcat gear, <laughs> USC Trojan red and yellow. You'll be fine. Okay, good. Good to know. Good to know. Hey, Jack, thanks for your time. Really good stuff. And, uh, and maybe I'll run into you on Friday night. Sweet, yeah. And one last thing on, on the on the stadium, just a bit about attendance, too, is people talk about romanticizing Packer. And I mean, Packer was an awesome officer. I never got experience, obviously, but I'm sure it was incredible. And a lot of that had to do with hosting a lot of huge games. I think Phoenix Union has just yet to be baptized by a regional or a super regional. That yard, when it's packed, will be awesome. I think ASU, they do have a chance. I don't think it will happen, but they do have a chance. They win this series, win the series out of Oregon. All of a sudden, you're really, really in a great position to host a regional. I think uh, regional host in Tempe at Phoenix Muni in the hot sun would be an awesome atmosphere. So, so give Phoenix Muni flowers. It just needs to get the opportunity to host big time games like that. Sounds good. Love to see it. All right, thanks, Jack. Yep, thank you guys. Have a good one. All right, there you go. That's uh, Jack uh, Loader from Devil Devil's Digest. Devil's Digest. Yeah. Com, a division of rivals. Here's here's how I would describe Phoenix Muni. I like Goss. Goss is smaller and more intimate, right? You're going to pack every seat. You feel like you're on top of the game. Yeah. Phoenix Muni is a former spring training park. It's a bit bigger. Mm-hmm. The concourses are a little wider. The seats are a little farther away from the field, I feel like. But you can't, you like, as much as I say there's always better things to do in the Valley of the Sun than attend a sporting event you don't want to go see, which is entirely true, there, there was, there's going to be a pretty exciting crowd there on Friday and Saturday night, I think. These two teams, two of the hottest teams in the conference, I mean, the Beaver, what, what did the Beavers want? 12 of, uh, was it 12 of 15? Yeah, 12, 12 of 15. 15. Sun Devils have won 19 of 23. Like, these are two red-hot teams, and it should be a fantastic ticket to get if you happen to take the trip down to Tempe, or technically Phoenix, and go watch a game at Phoenix Muni. How big is the uh, uh, foul territory? Uh, on the field? Yeah. Not very big. And then how much space is there from home plate to the back wall? Uh, standard, I would say. Uh, enough to make a play if there's a wild pitch and it's, a runner coming in? Yeah. It, I would say it's a pretty uniform. For, for a bounce back? I'd say it's a pretty normal, uniform foul territory. Well, the only reason why up. I ask yeah, is yeah. because Oregon State, as we all know, is right there. I mean, <laughs> balls will bounce back so fast off the wall behind home plate to the catcher. I wouldn't necessarily send every time automatically a guy from third on a wild pitch. Whereas at Stanford, I only seen it on film and heard lore that the it's a mile from home plate to the back wall, and their their foul territory behind the plate and in front of dugouts is massive. Mm-hmm. So it varies greatly from park to park. It does, and um, so I don't, I don't have any idea about. Yeah, it. you'll see it, but I think Phoenix Muni's probably about as vanilla of a dimension quirk as you could possibly get. Uh-huh. It's pretty, it's pretty uniform. It looks just about as normal yeah. as you possibly can get. One other thing before we take a break, and I wanted to get your, your thoughts on this. I think this is kind of cool. Fun with numbers. There's no other sport you can have fun with numbers like baseball, uh, as we've seen with with analytics and and Josh and TJ and and uh, what they just let me know. I'll bore you. I could talk for two. You know, um, do uh, I'll like spend to, all 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 tomorrow talking about baseball analytics. How about that? Have you? I'm ever, just going to run down the Fangraphs page of every base or or in St. Peter player. Have you and Josh ever geeked out on analytic numbers for baseball? I don't know if I've spent enough time with Josh in one place at one time with enough free time to do that. Because he loves, loves quirky numbers, old numbers, new numbers, current numbers, 
all kinds of things to do with numbers in every sport, especially baseball. No, I, yeah, I'm sure if we spend, I'm sure if we find a time to spend enough time together, yeah. I'm sure we could do that. So here's something that's kind of kind of weird. It just it doesn't happen every day. Oregon State and Arizona State lead the two main characters that are the two main statistical categories that people look at for for millennia. Uh, I guess for 150 years. And there's only one difference in the number, and that's where the decimal is. Oregon State is uh, number one in batting at, um, or I should say number one in pitching at mm-hmm. 3.14 ERA. And Arizona State's number one in hitting at .314. So both 314 numbers just move the decimal. And you've got pitching. This is the old adage now. Number one in pitching, Oregon State. Number one in hitting, Arizona State. Mm-hmm. What wins out? And I'm wondering, again, what is the hitting environment going to be like? How how are the Beaver pitchers going to adjust to a different hitting environment than they have up here? I'll yeah. be curious to see. And this, unlike the Devils, who have a, a pretty good stretch coming up here in the second half, the Beavers also have some very, very important games to play down the stretch here and on the road as well. You have two, this series in UCLA, tough road series, yeah. road series away from Goss Stadium that you're going to have to go win against some very talented teams. I think Oregon State will win this series. I have no idea what's going to happen in this just, series. I'm, I'm glad you're this, confident. And I think they'll win this series. I won't say go to sweep, but I think they'll win this series. Um, all right, let's take a break. We'll come back. Take your phone calls, your texts. Uh, 541-497-5356. We can talk football or baseball. That's what we're talking about. And, and I have, uh, by way of Lee Hauer, where are they now? A, a monthly report. Or is it by bi-monthly report on uh, former Beavers and where they are in their their quest to to make uh, make the majors? See what Trevor Larnick did yesterday. I did. He hit a nuke. <coughs> I didn't see to the destroy. actual hit, but I saw the statistics. He crushed it. Yeah, he crushed it. Can I can I YouTube Google that? Yeah, you can find it. You yeah. look up. Yeah, you can find it on Twitter up. too. I'm gonna look it up. It's we'll up back there. after this. Four nine seven five three five six on twelve forty Joe Radio. All right, we continue now with the Joe Beaver Show here on a wet Thursday. I guess the weather's going to start to get nice tomorrow and Saturday. Of course, teams are out of out of uh, out of town. By, by teams, I'm hearkening back to the morning show where I do report on Oregon baseball. Uh, we don't talk about it here <laughs> unless we're talking about just the competition of the conference. They're a good team, uh, but they weren't. They were a good team before they played Oregon State. The Beavers dominated, and then they've been a good team since then. But not for that weekend. I'm kind of thinking, hmm, what's going on with Oregon State? Are they really, really kind of putting it all together and playing up to a better potential than we even thought? And I think this weekend might mm-hmm. be a good uh, barometer. I thought the USC series would be a good barometer, and you win three, and you're thinking, it was so weird. If you would have said, you, would you take winning three and think, you know, how, how would you feel about winning three against USC? Yes, I'd think. Yeah, unbelievable. They're on their way. They're going to win the conference. They're going to just tear it up and, and everything mm-hmm. is behind them. But then as soon as they got that third win, I'm like, uh, it's not good enough. You got to get more. No, you got to get more. So even with USC's Pac-12 record being good, their, their RPI is not very good. They've had a decently easy schedule. I, I think ASU is probably better than USC is. So that's like, it, I don't so know. that's yeah. how you barometer it again. Winning in the postseason, unless you the Beavers are going to get a top weight, which is nearly impossible at this point, you're going to have to go win on the road, which is why these right. future series are important. And yeah. the one big test, well, sorry, you've had two big tests on the road. You beat Oregon two of three, good. You got crushed by Stanford right. for the most part. 
that that was a disappointment. Right. But not playing as well then right. as now. Right. But here's the thing I say about momentum, right? We say the Beavers now have momentum playing. Yes. You have momentum until you don't. That's true. Right. Yeah, so momentum can always just can always change if you start playing poorly. Yeah. And right. So there's no definitive starter end of momentum, which means the Beavers can't just ride momentum into this series. They have to play well as well on the road in a hot hitters environment at elevation. I'm very much looking forward to this. Very much looking forward. You going to go to DeFalco's? You should go to DeFalco's. Did you go last time? I don't think so. You went no. to you went to the Chuck Box. Chuck Box, yeah. You need to go to DeFalco's this time. I assume Maddie has a car. Yes. So he can drive yes. you to DeFalco's. And you just go up Scottsdale Road. We don't really have plans on Saturday or Sunday. So you just go up Scottsdale Road. It's in this strip mall. Yeah. You just take a left. It is fantastic food. It's great. And there's a uh, apparently a Tiger Woods inspired putt. Putting green oh, looks yes, like I an think actual I've seen, miniature course. I think I've heard that. You'll have to check that out and report uh, back. near Glendale. I've seen, I think that's a far drive. But if you do make that drive, let me know how it is. I'd be curious. Yeah, I might want to go up there and go, or at least go somewhere where there's a some Cardinal store where you can get football Cardinal stuff. Yeah. I don't know. You would, I wouldn't say you'd have to go all the way to Glendale for that. Yeah. You could probably get some something like that in Scottsdale. All right. So uh, Lee Hauer puts this together for... Uh, um, for uh, different organizations, but uh, of course, what did I do with that one piece? Here we go. This is, I want to get it right. Professional baseball. Da, 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 da. And this, of course, is for the, uh, uh, um, why am I drawing blank on the word? Alumni for the alums. Puts it together and offered it up for us, which is very nice. And so we're going to go through it. So thank you, Lee, for this. Thank you very much. And we have this opportunity now, this time to kind of kind of go through things. And he goes back as far as the class of 2011. Sam Gavilio was pitching for Texas AAA affiliate when he went on the DL last July. He was activated postseason but elected free agency in November, currently unsigned. However, he, he was signed to the Italy team in the World Baseball Tournament and has pitched for them for three innings. Gavilio. So uh, he... <laughs> he gets to play for the he got to play for the Italian team. Andrew Susak, unsigned free agent, did not play last year. And Josh Osich, an unsigned free agent who did not play last year. And I love how this is uh color coded for players who are unsigned. Now, players who are uh currently on the disabled list, although this is uh, not everybody. Oh, that's an Italian in italics. Okay. So Matty Boyd uh pitched the other night. Against the Giants, I don't remember what he did. I'm going to pull it up right oh, now. Oh, he was not the winner of record, but he got five innings in. So confirm that for me. He got five innings in. I think he had seven, six strikeouts, but was not the winner of record. A couple of days ago that the Giants. in seconds. Yeah. And this is just chugging along here. So, yeah, he played, yeah, against the Guardians. He went five innings, five hits, three runs, a home run, four strikeouts, okay. two walks. That's way off. But I had the five innings right. And I had, uh, it, was, it was against the Guardians. Um, these, these numbers, unless we know, for example, Drew pitched last night, we'll get to that in a moment, are as, as of the 16th and today being the 20th. Uh, Michael Conforto, left fielder for San Francisco, and Conforto blasted one last night in the 11th inning. 
He got another home run. I don't have his stats in front of me. You're the the lookup guy. He's up to uh, 233, 377 on base, 512 uh, slugging. He's been aw- he's been pretty good for the Giants this year. He could uh, he would be very useful on another team in the Pacific Northwest as a DH. Mm. 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 What's wrong with? Well, we'll do that mm. segment mm. here in a minute. Mm. Anyway, Michael Conforto's been a regular guy. He he's uh, he's he's looking good. Jace Fry pitching for AAA Toledo. Uh, as a uh, minor league team of Detroit, four games, no starts. He's 1-0 with a 1.42 ERA, six and a third innings. Ben Wexler, Ben Holmes, pitching for AA Birmingham. White Sox organization was signed in the offseason by the White Sox organization, a minor league contract on March 14th. On April 14th, he was assigned to Birmingham. He has two games under his belt, no starts, an 11.57 ERA, two and a third innings for Ben Wetzler, I, I I talked with him a couple of years ago in surprise, and I, I just love that kid. And class of 2015, Andrew Moore was released from AA New Hampshire on August 24th. Oh, no, that's my birthday. So that's uh, that was Andrew Moore. Caleb Hamilton for Worcester in Boston, AAA. He got that I right. I should say a AAA program for Boston, Worcester. W- Worcester. Worcester. Wor- there's Worcester. An, there's an R there. Mm-mm. Worcester. There's, there's no, you don't say the R. There's an R. You don't say it. I know it's right there. But you don't say it. I know I got, <laughs> I, I think I said Worcester the first time. Worcester. Worcester. Okay. Six games, um, 250, home run, and four RBI. KJ Harrison, whose younger brother played for USC here last week on uh, in that series. KJ's playing first base, released from AA Harrisburg from the Washington organization. And you can't find any more on him. Jake uh, Thompson for Wooster. Pitching for Wooster. Uh, AAA, however, let's see, on March 8th, he was signed to pitch for Puerto Rico in the baseball classic. Four games at Wooster, no starts. 1-0 with an 8.44 ERA, five and a third innings pitched. Christian Donahue finished the season with Iowa and was released on March 24th. Uh, class of 2018, Nick Madrigal has been getting a little bit more at-bats, a little bit more into the rotation for the Cubs. Did they play last night, and did he play? Uh, he, yeah, he's been a little bit better than I thought he would. He's hitting 345. Okay, good. 29 like, at-bats this year. Good. So that's good. Let's see if he played last night. I'm not sure. He's not been playing every day. Though I was curious, the game three against Merritt, they were batting him second, which I'm just really not sure why he was batting second. He's... But the, I digress. He last played, yeah, he did play in a 12-2 win for the Cubs over the Oakland A's. He went two for four. How about that? Yeah, he's, A couple of runs driven in. Um, lately, yeah. I've been checking on his scores. I do that every morning, and he's been pretty well, uh, doing pretty well. Uh, Nick Madrigal, Cubs. Trevor Larnick, we talked about him. Caden Grenier, wrapping it up. Uh, AAA Norfolk, he appeared in one game on April 1st, went three for three, walked twice, and then voluntarily retired. Stephen Kwan. Now again, this is this is old. These are old stats. What I do got you got it. for Kwan? Again? I got it. Kwan is uh, this year 247, 352, 301. He's been a, a little bit uh, below average at the plate, and actually, it's early. But Baseball Reference has him uh, ne- on negative wins above replacement, which I think is interesting so far for for Kwan this year. Uh, he went over three with a run against. Uh, Cleveland, or sorry, against Detroit yesterday in a 3-2 win. Now It's been interesting. His, his stats are a little bit down. The next guy I want to talk about, I want to take a little time with Drew Rasmussen. So last week, going into the Friday game, last Friday night, 
Drew was the starting pitcher in what would have been a record 14 wins in a row in to open up Major League Baseball's longest win streak to open up a season. They had tied it the night before, going into a Friday game, and it was all it was, you know everybody was excited. I actually I was up in the mountains, but I was listening online to their broadcaster, which I wasn't impressed, by the way, hmm. uh, the Rays broadcaster. Oh, oh, and, uh, as you remember, one of them did pass away in, at the end of, right before the season started. Oh, I didn't know. Really, yeah. One of the, yeah, it's, heart, it's oh, heartbreaking. It's horrible. It's heartbreaking. Well, the, I mean, the guy was fine. He okay. did fine. The problem was he never set the score. Hmm. Never set the score. But, yeah, I mean, he's a pro. He's just, when you get to that level, it's like, who's the best of the best? Um, anyway, anyway, I'm, I'm sitting there listening to this game, every pitch, and it just didn't happen. It wasn't yeah. Drew's night. He took the loss. He went into it with a zero ERA. Mm-hmm. He, he, uh, uh, it just didn't work out for him. He was two and zero. Oh, he drops to two and one, but last night, as you'll note here, he had really good numbers again. He did. So last week that start four and a third, eight hits, five earned runs, four walks, four strikeouts. And he was what we taught when we had him on, you and Mike had him on here, the Joe Beaver show, just talking about how good he felt with his command. He's he struggled a little bit more with his command the last two starts. So four walks last week, last night, a little bit better. He had five shutout innings, uh, three hits, but he also walked three batters alongside seven strikeouts. But it was good in a 3-1 raise win. Yeah, so and he's he, he got the win, and he's 3-1 he's and one now. And hopefully that kind of righted the ship for him. But uh, Drew Rasmussen, we had him on. A great kid. Adley Rutschman, of course. Uh, again, these numbers are old, so I'll let you look that up real quick for Adley. And he's just tearing it up right now and getting all kinds of, of publicity as a potential MVP guy, even though it's so early. Yeah, he's been awesome. He is, like, walking nearly 20% of the time. 20% of the time, which is incredible. I, I'm just, like... Take Adley's name off of it. I'm going to describe to you these attributes that are currently playing at the major league play, uh, level. There is a switch hitting catcher who's a good blocker, framer with a good arm, hits for a decent average, walks among the you know the top two percent of people in all of baseball, and has 20 home run power as well. Oh, and he could probably steal some bags as well. That's one player. Did I mention he switch hits? That's amazing. <laughs> amazing. That's pretty good. He has had an awesome. He's had an awesome season. He's offensively is about 70% better than the league average right now. His on-base percentage is nearly 45%, which is just, that's a really, really good number. He's almost worth an entire win above replacement already. Last year, he had a home run from both sides of the plate in, this, in one game. I'd love to see him do that in Major League Baseball. I'd love to see that. I know it's, it's hard. It wouldn't be hard, but he, uh, he's amazing. Okay, so that's Adley. Bo Phillips. A Bo Phillip, rather shortstop, double-A Mississippi in the Atlanta organization. Uh, seven games, batting 182, one home run, four RBIs. Grant Gambrell, high-A Greenville, the Boston organization, did not play last year, activated off the DL in November. High-A Greenville, one game, one start, 7-7-1 seven, seven, ERA, four and two-thirds innings. Brandon Isert, Toronto's triple-A Buffalo squad, was a non-roster invitee to Toronto for spring training. Six games. Uh, 1-0, 4.50 ERA, 5.5 and a third innings with one save. Tyler Malone finished the season with Double A San Antonio. However, on March 1st, he was released by the team. Um, Christian Chamberlain. Now, I, I called his games. In fact, there was a, a wonderful Friday night affair for Christian Chamberlain at Mississippi State that I'll never forget. Double uh, A Northwest Arkansas, the Kansas City organization. He's 1-0 with a 3-3-8. ERA, five and a third innings, 
Alex McGarry had a huge bat, kid from Tacoma, Triple uh, A Louisville, playing first base, and the Cincinnati organization. Ten games, one fifty-two with with two homers and three RBIs. Yeah, he's Kevin, been. He's been. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at it's gotten worse. I, That's not good. Hopefully, Alex McGarry uh, can uh, can can rebound here. He had such a good season last year in in high A Double A. Kevin Abel with uh, Daytona, the Cincinnati organization. That's low A. Uh, shown on the Daytona roster, going to the Daytona webpage. Abel is not shown as a pitcher for them. No stats for this year. Chase Watkins, high A South Bend in the Cubs organization. Uh, right now he's got uh, two games, three ERA, three innings uh, pitched for them. Bryant Salgado, high A Asheville in the Houston organization. He was promoted on April 3rd. Played Mexican Winter League ball, too. Nathan Burns, High A Tri-Cities in the Angels organization. Kyle Fromke, infielder. Uh, low A Rancho Cucamonga, released by them on March 31st. Cooper Jerpy, High A Peoria, St. Louis organization, was assigned to St. Louis on March 6th, assigned to FCL Cardinals, and before the season started, he was assigned to High A Peoria. Uh, he's got two starts and nine ERA. He's 0-1-1, seven innings pitch. Jacob Melton, High A Asheville with, with Houston. Justin Boyd. Low A Lynchburg with the Cleveland organization. Will Frisch, Low A Myrtle Beach. And Wade Meckler, High A Eugene. We talked to Wade on the show here, was it last week? With yeah. San Francisco. So he'll be playing for the Eugene Emeralds this year. Jake Fennigs, Low A Stockton in the Oakland organization. Gavin Logan, catching for High A Hillsboro, Arizona organization. Is that our Hillsboro? Yes. Okay. Uh, DJ Carpenter, Low A Palm Beach in the St. Louis organization. And Mitchell Verberg, um, Indianapolis or Indy. That's in, in, uh, independent. That's Sioux independent City. ball. Indi- yeah. Independent Sioux City. Sioux City in Indianapolis. <laughs> so there you go. It's a good rundown. It is a good rundown, and thanks to Lee Howard for putting that together. And you know, it's just it's so good to see so many Beavers and seven players in Major League Baseball with uh, really Rutschman and Rasmussen are the two hottest guys right now. Trevor. I would put him next in the Nick Madrigal mm-hmm. next, and uh, who's left? Oh, Conforto. No, Conforto. Mm-hmm. Conforto, Conforto, and then Quani as then well. And then Oh my gosh! Yeah, I mean, all of them, literally worth taking your time to look at the box scores every morning, which is something I did as a kid every single chance I got. And uh, so now there's seven guys to watch for. That's pretty cool. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back and see if there's any texts. There are not. I don't think so. No. Actually. There is one. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Yeah, well, let's check it out. Thanks for yeah. playing. Okay. Yeah. Paying. Uh, what do we got? Uh, yeah, let's break. 541-497-5356 is the number to phone or text your thoughts. And we've got one segment to go. I'll throw out an idea that I came up with, a thought, and just maybe we can get some quick reaction, and then TJ can take it up tomorrow as well. Back after this on 1240 Joe Radio. All let's right. do a Joe Beaver show from Mary's Peak, if we want to enjoy the sun. Do you think we could get up above, there? Above the clouds. Above the clouds. <laughs> our signal would be good up there. Do a Joe Beaver show from uh, Phoenix. Is, is our tower? Oh, that's a good one. Could do that. You could set up in the press box. They got good Wi-Fi. Too. Mike and I did a Joe Beaver show once from a Portland Beavers game when they were playing downtown Portland, Civic Stadium. Really? Yeah, during was, the game? During the game. That's funny. We got in. We got to hook up, do a Joe Beaver show. Baseball game was going on. But the the semantics of that, I think, so we broadcast here in the Mid-Valley, our signal does not reach Portland. 
No, we, we knew, we've done shows, Mike, or, um, um, Doug and I have done tailgate shows for every football game, home and away, even LSU, Yeah, where we're, we're clearly out of range. Everybody else can hear us, but right. we can't. And right. um, Just, those so, have been fun. Yeah, interesting. Man, that would be cool. During a game. Yeah. That would be fun. We have a caller. Let's go to the phones. Doug in Salem. Hi, Doug. Uh, thank you. I, I thought I'd go back to the theme that you had last, recently of uh, Lou Gregg being, being the, the luckiest man on earth. Yeah. Recently, uh, somebody passed away. At, he's, he's 86 years old, and he is kind of like the luckiest man on land. I'm using the words there, land. Yeah. Uh, on purpose, um, <laughs> because uh, it was it was uh, uh, Greg B- Breitlove died, and he's 86 years old, and he's kind of lucky to get that far because he had multiple times he'd set the the world land speed record, mainly back in the mid 1960s. He did all that, and, and I just thought it, he he, he he did all that and managed to get to 86. Yes, he did. I think you're right. I know you have a really, really subtle sense of humor, and you're <laughs> you're right. It'd be like if uh, Evil Knievel lived to be that long. Although Evil lived to be pretty old, he, <laughs> but uh, no. So the land speed record guy gets into his 80s. That's the luckiest or man. Any professional surfer. Yeah, that's the luckiest Psychos. man, at least on land. So yeah, that's a good that's a good call. <laughs> yeah, he and Art and, and Walt um, Arfons were. were Going right back and forth on the Bonneville salt flats in the mid 60s, yeah. 1960s. And they kind of, going back and forth, they up the line speed record from around 400 miles an hour up to around 600 miles an hour. <clears throat> now, I take and, it, uh, they, Doug, go ahead. Doug, I take it these guys were using rockets, not normal combustion engines. No, they, they had to convert from, uh, you know, the combustion engines to using jet engines. Both of them used jet engines, jet not en- rockets. Yeah, jet engines. That's um, what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, they had a, yeah, they were, um, Art, um, Arfons, he basically wrapped a car around a jet engine, where Greatwood had more of an aerodynamic uh, uh, car, but it was really a gorgeous car. They're very aerodynamic, and, uh, and they, and, Brickwood had a tricycle with a smaller, you know, um, wheel up in front kind of arrangement. It worked better for him. Wow. But both these guys just used a really powerful jet engines that they got off of used uh, fire fire planes that have been scrapped sort of. They what? The planes I can't. Took what, the engines off. Like, what happens if you hit a little blip in when you're driving? There's something sticking out, and you like go into the air. These guys actually might just fly. They'll just fly away. <laughs> Well, yeah, uh, both of them had had really horrific accidents that almost killed each of them. Harpons and uh, uh, Greek Love, they uh, came very close to dying. That, that, um, sometimes they they make their speed records and then they pop the parachute, and the parachute would, would be just you know destroyed in about a second. And and uh, sometimes they'd just be going off and across the desert with no brakes and. And then sometimes the cars become very unstable and everything. And wow. both of them had really, really near death. Absolutely. Near death accidents at these high speeds, you know. I'd be surprised if they didn't. I'd be very surprised. No, those are the those are the daredevils back then. And they certainly, you know, they, they inspired probably inspired or inspired by uh by Evil Knievel 
And but those guys are getting the records. Hey, good call. Thanks, Doug. Uh, call again next week or tomorrow with TJ, and uh, we'll wrap it up. Uh, Robert wrote in and said Mickey Mantle hit from both sides ten times. Eddie Murray did it eleven times. He said eight times and eleven times in two different text yeah, messages. I'm going to say he must this, have looked it back up. I think I would guess eleven times. That's and I would assume eleven is the record. If that's why it was sent. That's and that was on the heels of me saying, oh, I'd love to see Adley hit it from both sides of the plate in a single game. Let's see. Major League record for career home runs from each side of the plate is, oh, as we say that, is Mark Teixeira. That makes sense. Who had 12 in the American League and two in the National League. Nick Swisher, excuse me, tied Teixeira in 2015 when he hit one in the NL to go with his AL record of 13. Uh, Ken Committee holds the NL. Uh, is Cam Caminiti holds the NL record with ten. Now, are we it's confusing hitting a home run from both sides throughout the course of a season versus I want to see him hit one in the game from both sides? I, he did that last year. I think that in a minor league game. I think that is um, that's in the same game. Okay, it should be in the same game. Great stuff. So I know Mark Desher hit more than fourteen career home runs. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Thanks for that, Robert. That's a really that's a really cool nugget. So Adley's got uh, 14 more to go. <laughs> no pressure. That'd be great. That'd be great if he could do that. All right. Well, that was fun. That was a good uh, show. Our, our thanks again to uh, Brendan uh, Slaughter from Beaver's Edge and Jack Loader from uh, from DevilsDigest.com for the uh, the discussion on the Sun Devils. I, I I just you know I know they they've got some good offensive numbers, but I really think that. The, the depth of the Beaver pitching right now is better than any other team in the conference. Yeah, it's going to be... I just want to see them outside of of this 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 uh, outside of Goss. Just yeah. see how, how are they going to do. I mean, it, again, it's going to be a weather. good... It is going to be a good hitting environment down there this weekend. That's it's, what I'm saying. It's going to so be great. So as great as your pitching staff is, can you can you adapt to, to a good hitting environment? A ball, again, that might just be a flout to the warning track at Goss that keeps in the stadium... Might go over the wall down there this weekend. So that'll be interesting to see. It's going to be a really good matchup of strength on strength this weekend. No doubt about it. Also, uh, I didn't get a chance to throw out my question. I'll, I'll throw it out anyway. We're down to our last minute and a half. Has the portal, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of every sport, but mostly you and I were talking about it in our production uh, before the show. Has the portal changed what to up till now has been that Sports is really the only true meritocracy there is. In other words, because it's a business and people don't want to get fired, you play your best players. So you can't claim racism. You can't claim uh, anything if a guy sits on the bench, because, especially in pro sports, because you're thinking, no, no, we don't want to lose. We don't want to get fired. You get fired after two years or whatever it is on average, whatever sport it is. If you don't win, the best players are going to play. So the... The things that people gripe about in high school and sometimes in college about favoritism don't really play a role because of the meritocracy, the best win. But collegiately, has that changed now? Will, will it, has that changed, sports being a meritocracy, because of wanting to maybe keep a guy around for a while? Now, we saw it last year when, and this will be a new trend, and we're down to our last 30 seconds, this will be a new trend that we saw starting last year is late, late fall camp um, declarations of starters to keep the guys who don't get the starting job from leaving. And I think we, ha- we had that with Oregon State last year on the quarterback situation. Ten seconds. There's a loaded question to go into your Friday. 
Yes, exactly. Your thoughts. All right. Hey, thanks to everybody. I'm out. TJ tomorrow for one hour. Have a great weekend, everybody.